I recall having a conversation with a friend of mine who's also in ministry. We're around the same age. We were talking about the need for respite and, re, and, and, and taking time to recharge because very often being in ministry, you're, you're pouring, you're pouring, you're pouring. You love it. You feel called to it. But there takes time where you need to recharge and reconnect. And so I asked them, I said, what do you do to recharge? What are, we, what are some places you go to recharge? He said, my great-grandfather bought a cottage, small home and mine somewhere off in the wilderness, in upstate New York. And I'm so happy he bought that for us with ministry leaders in mind and his family to say, I want the family to always utilize this as a place where they can go reconnect and recharge. Immediately when he told me that, my mind moved off the need for respite and recharging, and my mind moved to this thought, what an awesome great-grandfather who left a legacy for his generations to come. To say, what a legacy-minded person. The title of my talk today and the launch of this series to where it's going to bring us is the 1322 Challenge. You'll understand the 1322 in a minute, but it's this case that we're making, that we're thinking through. There's something to be said about leaving a legacy for people to come. And it's not just the spiritual one. We want that, definitely. But don't, don't think that it's unspiritual to think of a material legacy you would like for generations that come after you. Both would be great. Spiritual heritage. And things that they can look to to say, you've left this, left this for us. You know, according to a 2019 uh, U.S. financial post, it was a trends report that came out. They said three out of ten Americans feel that they're financially healthy. Three out of ten. It was about five out of ten or half basically felt like they're barely making it living from paycheck to paycheck. So there were more people who felt like they were barely making it than those that said they felt financially secure or healthy or had something along those lines. But then we read Proverbs 13, 22, and this is what this series will be using as a springboard, as the anchor verse, and what this challenge is about. Proverbs 13, 22 says... A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I want you to see that first part. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And sometimes we read a verse like that and feel there's a dichotomy between where I currently am in my finances and what this verse is calling me to do. That's the very essence of scripture. Sometimes scripture, and what it does, scripture offers us a more reality proper, so to speak, or a different reality. And sometimes we come across a text that shows the chasm between where I may be and where scripture calls me to be. Then I have to make a decision. Am I just going to ignore it and act like it's not there? Or say, Lord, Holy Spirit, by your power, help me close the gap from where I am to where I ought to be. And so it's calling for a principle. 
to say, hey, we should be thinking of the next generation to come, not just spiritually. Yes, I can show you scriptures on that. But even materialistically, resources that they can have to sustain them. So this 13, 20, 20, 22 challenge is about getting our financial house in order to say, Lord, I want to make sure you can utilize me. Don't, don't sidestep the responsibility, and I'm going to work through some of those things. But I will say, here's what we want to help you do. Here is our promises as we start this series and go through this challenge as a family. Here's our promises as a leadership team from us to you. Let me lay down the groundwork. Let me give you five promises that I can assure you this series would do. Here's one. You will learn how to manage your money more effectively with no judgment attached. You'll learn how to manage money. If you sat through, you came back week in and week out, you'll learn a couple principles. You will learn, here's another promise, life-changing strategies on debt reduction and how to bounce back from financial setbacks. Who can use some strategies? Here's another one. You will not be asked to give a special gift beyond your normal tithe and offerings. So everybody just have a woosa. This is not a tricky way for us to throw. We're not using this as a springboard to say, give a special gift, a special offering. No, we're saying one of our goals is to empower the families that are, that's connected to Christ Church and the surrounding region. And, and money is a very real need when it comes to what families need and what they feel they need to be equipped to in order to fulfill what God has for them. So there's no special ask. Promise number four, you'll be challenged to make hard decisions to reach your financial goals. So there'll be some hard decisions we'll be asking you to really consider so you can get to a place of financial health. And lastly, you'll learn how to build wealth, money that lasts for generations so you meet the 1322 challenge. Who can use some tips on how to build wealth? It was like Chris, uh, uh, the comedian. Oh, man, why am I drunk? Chris Rock, there we go. Wow, I, didn't, I can't believe I drew blank on that. Chris Rock, years ago, while Shaquille O'Neal was still an active basketball player, one of the dominant big men in the NBA, he said there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. He said Shaquille O'Neal is rich. The guy who signs his check is wealthy. And so I'm talking about what can we do to get sustained wealth growing in our finances to say, Lord, I just want to be a faithful steward. I want to line my life up in such a way I may not experience in my generation, but I want generations not to have to deal with stuff that I learned, bad habits that I learned, a spirit of poverty that I learned that from past times, I, I declare in you through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you break that curse over my life and I can continue to walk in financial health. This is what this is about. And so, when we look at Proverbs 13:22 again, let's see what we can grasp. It says again, let's look at it again. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. The question becomes, what does Proverbs 13:22 challenge me to do? What does it challenge me to do? 1322 challenges me to master 
my money. If I'm going to think about children's children and inheritance to come, the next generation, that means I need to master my money. That means I cannot be a slave to my money. Some people feel like, I've, I've heard it misquoted often, no matter how many times we can try to correct it, I've heard it misquoted. Money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. That's not true. Money is amoral. Money has no morality connected to it. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. If your affinity is to say, I serve money over God, that's evil. Now, you need to see, we need to see that we don't want to be a slave to money. I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, ruled by money. I want to be a ruler of my money. I don't want to just be just, just bound by my money, not at all. In fact, most people can sidestep this opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I don't have children. I don't have children's children. So I'm not worried about an inheritance. I'm not worried about that aspect. Don't think this is just for people with families because I want you to know something that many people, even if you're single, you can leave an inheritance for organizations you value. You can leave an inheritance of scholarship funds for people who share the same passion as you. You can, you can leave an inheritance for your nieces and your nephews. You can leave an inheritance for younger cousins and individuals. Don't think, oh, this is just for the family person or for the married person. No, this is a mindset that says, Lord, position me to be a blessing for others that my blessing outlives my life. That's what 1322 is about. I don't just want to be blessed in my lifetime. I want my blessing to outlive and go before me and beyond anything I can think or imagine. And so that means I position myself for such. Now, uh, Jesus deals with this issue of, of mastering uh, our money. He says this. He says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both. You can't make it, you can't say, hey, I'm going to serve God. And listen, let me make this clear from the onset. I'm not preaching at you. I'm in this. I'm saying, man, there's decisions I've made. There's things I need to correct to say, Lord, how do we make sure I'm not a slave to money? You see, when you serve money, you're a slave. When you serve God, you're a servant. When you serve money, we become greedy. When we serve God, we become generous. You see, there's a dichotomy to say, I don't want to just serve God one day, the money the next day. I want to walk consistently consistently in this area and not be a slave to money. And sometimes we can't tell if we're a slave to money. Sometimes we need identifying factors and, and a lot of financial experts have made lists to say, hey, you may want to line this up alongside of your heart to see if you may be lorded by money a bit. And here's how do we know? How do we know? Here's some, some, some signs of financial slavery. One is my loyalty is divided, in essence, between God and money. This is one way we know. I've done some work on that already. We talked about that. Here's another way we know, though, that we may be a slave. I'm living beyond my means. In essence, I make purchases pretty consistently that go well beyond my income stream. And so 
we may, we may think, I'm not talking about you made one bad purchase that didn't work out. I'm talking about you find some level of a trend where you're constantly, you have an affinity towards, quote, unquote, the greater things in life. It's like a buddy of mine. He owns a luxury car dealership. He was talking to me. He said, Lionel, the way the banking system is right now and loans and all that, he said, most people can walk off the lot. He said, most people. No matter what your credit score, no matter what you do, he said, can walk off the lot with a luxury car. He said, it's just the way it's set up, whether it be 22% interest or whatever, monthly. He said, they can walk off the lot. Here's the difference that I've learned. He said, this is what I will say, though. Within that year, I've seen countless people walk off the lot and come back a few months later when it's time to maintain that car. And I'm not against a luxury car. I'm just saying if you have a luxury car, I hope you have a luxury account with it. I'm not against the luxury car. He's saying, listen, a lot of people think twice. It's a difference between your little Honda Civic that's $29.95 for oil change or your, you know, or your high-end luxury car that's $250 for that oil change. Same oil. I mean, different type of oil. Same need. And he said, a lot of people start hitting that U. They drive off the lot. They got, the car got to get maintenance. They hit that U-turn, come right back to the lot. He said, you know how many luxury cars I get back within that year? Right back to my dealership. Because we may be living beyond our means. Here's another way I may be a slave. Listen, I'm a financial show-off. And it can get even more crafty in the social media era, era where people like, you know, I've heard people say, oh, I'm going to get this outfit. I just want to take a picture with it so I can, you know, then I'll bring it back. I, this is, I'm serious. <laughs> that's the truth that's the truth and so I've heard people say I just need a pic you know we live in an era where we want to give the highlight reel of our lives and so people don't, don't, it's not just material things it's vacations I've seen it all the time people I'm not against you take a picture on vacation but I know people tracking their whole vacation and they're sitting there I'm here I'm in Aruba chilling on the beach I'm about to black sands in Hawaii like this you know this like this with my girl, whatever. They're, they're sitting there every, every, every couple months on a different vacation trying to show, you know, hashtag Globetrotter. Hashtag where's Carmen San Diego. I don't know what they're doing. They're sitting there. They're, they're going all over the world trying to show off to other people and, and people that won't think twice about you as soon as they flick through that pic and it's done or double tap for the like. They're not thinking twice about we're paying exorbitant amounts just to show off for some people. And some, you know, there's some individuals that there's like this trend I, I see with a lot of the, like, the athletes. In fact, it was recent where Adrian Bronner, just this week, he was a promising boxer who was a professional boxer. And just a few months prior, he would take, you know, pictures with the, the money stack. They'll take all the money out. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like a stack of hundreds and all that. And they'll take it and put it to their ear like money talks. And they're in the, they're in the picture, like, you know, whatever. And they got like a stack of money. Well, that money didn't talk too long. Because just this week, he said, I know you guys see me off social media for a while, but could all my followers give me $10? Here's my cash app. That's a true story. No shame. I'm like, brother, if you post that, you better delete all those money stack pictures. But what I'm saying is we become show-offs and we're going broke behind it if we do that. Here's another way we may be a slave. I have financial secrets. And the hush hit the room. That means 
married folks, you have secret accounts somewhere, different bank, different card, under the mattress to the left corner. You'll be shocked how many pastoral counseling appointments surround money. And so it, it, it's, it's, it can be a hard thing. You know, those secret, those secret accounts off on the shores of the Bahamas somewhere. You're getting money and, and you got a little escape plan just in case things go wrong. You know what I'm talking? <laughs> That's not healthy. That's not healthy. And then as a couple, you go, why, why can't we make ends meet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, you got 30000 in some offshore account somewhere. Talking about, mm-hmm. hey, hey, these are factoids, little factoids. And last but not least, here's, this is not an exhaustive list. You can Google some bad financial habits. These will come up. It's not exhaustive, but here's my little last but not least one that I hear, that I hear often. Shopping is my therapy. Some of y'all look down. Don't even take the pic. Don't take the. You got to keep your head up to take the picture. Come on. <laughs> In the words of the great philosopher Tupac, I know you're fed up, but you got to keep your head up, man. And so, just make sure. Just make sure that you recognize. Some people say shopping's my therapy, and they'll go look. <laughs> reading is very therapeutic too. You may want to try that. Sleeping might be helpful as well. It's a little cheaper. And I've heard, and we, we, you know, how many of us know? Let's just be honest. When we want to do something, we'll, we'll find a reason to do it. How many of you know? Like, you'll, you'll, you'll finagle a way to do it. You'll, 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 you'll reason for it. So I've heard this thing. Oh, no, my God, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I deserve this. I worked hard all week. I deserve this. I deserve. One time I said that to a financial planner that was helping me. You know, years ago, I used, man, I deserve. I mean, he said, you also deserve to be out of debt. It got real quiet in the room. I said, oh, my bad. <laughs> these are some signs, though. It can be funny. It can be in jest, but these are some signs. Family, we have some bad habits. We have some bad habits sometimes that we need to cut off to say, Lord, I don't want there to be a gap, a chasm between this verse and my life. I want to position myself that this verse can be true in my life. 1322, that my children's children will have an inheritance, that those around me will have an inheritance because I was responsible with my income. I mastered my money, and money didn't master me. So what does 1322 challenge me to do? Here's the second thing it challenged me to do. 1322 challenges me to manage my money. Mastering is different. That means my heart's not divided. That means my heart has made a decision to say, Lord, I want to honor you with my income and how I deal with my income. But managing my money is to say, Lord, I want to make sure that whatever you give me, whatever I can get, whatever I get my hands on that you've blessed me with through my work or through side jobs or through birthday gifts or whatever, I want to make sure I manage it properly to say I want to leave an inheritance. In fact, one bumper sticker read, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. Because they're like, man, this is all about me. But it says a good person 
would leave an inheritance. Now, we, we, listen, family, like, let's not be slick and think, why is the church talking about such a carnal issue? This is not a carnal issue. This is a discipleship issue. Money is just as spiritual as prayer, as faith, or anything else. How we deal with our money is a discipleship issue. It's, we can't pick and choose, Lord, I, I, I'm all about Christianity and prayer. I'm all about Christianity and faith. Oh, but my money, that's between me and me. And we think that we don't have any accountability? No. John Calvin, the reformer, once said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. We can't, we can't just choose where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. The, uh, the old saying is that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So now let's not, let's not make, put this in the wrong category and think money is some carnal, some American thing. No, it's a biblical thing. You can't talk about God and biblical discipleship without talking about money. There's a lot. Bible has a lot to say about our love for it or lack thereof. And so we need to make sure we don't misappropriate this. And so that means... We all have a responsibility. So what do we do? What do we do to manage our money? What do we do to make sure our finances? There's some tips. And again, throughout this series, we're going to be very direct on certain things and give just direct, direct strategy. But here's an overview. Here's some of the things we can do. First, establish a budget. You heard what I said? A budget. Some of us think, we think like, it, look, look, my wife and I, we walk through a bunch, and it's difficult sometimes. When you look at how much, when you really need to put in those little grids for gas money and rent, and, all, and you start putting it down, and you're sitting there, we, we'll over-spiritualize it. We think, oh, I don't need to worry about a budget. God has my money in order. No, God gave you resources. Be a good steward. This is your budget. We'll over-spiritualize. We'll open our Bank of America app, our Wells Fargo app, put it in the middle of our living room and on the floor with the phone and talk about, I'm walking around seven times. I believe in God. App, you better grow. In oh, in Jesus' name, you better grow. Money digital, come on, grow, grow, grow. Look, lay your hands on it. Talk about, I rebuke the devil off this app. Look, the, the, no, I don't care how much circles you do around your Bank of America app. Nothing's going to change if you don't look at your budget. It's funny because it's true. We think, we think sometimes we can ignore our finances and just think God better bless us. So we put our, our finances over here and just pray, Lord, help me, Jesus. Meet all my needs. And you look at, look at your budget. He said, I can't meet all your needs. Why? Because Starbucks took it all. Oh, oh, everything I want to give you, Starbucks took it. You know what somebody posted? It was very powerful. I almost didn't believe it. They said, you want to blow $10,000 a year annually? 10000 He said, if you want, to blow, you want to blow it annually? They said... Just spend $27.40 a day on miscellaneous things. I said, hold up. $27.40 a day on miscellaneous things for a year, you just blew $10,000. And I said, hold up. That's not the truth. So I took out my calculator. 2740 times, 10, times 365. And it came out to 10 thousand and I just thought you know what 2740 is you bought breakfast and lunch somewhere that's 2740 right there depending where you bought it Montclair that's one thing that's lunch 
You go to East Orange, you might, might stretch you. North, it might stretch a little bit further. But even there, gentrification getting a hold of places. Y'all better watch. 2740 might just get you fries with the burger. Maybe not the fries, but just the burger. All I'm saying is that's all it takes. 2740 a day, they said miscellaneously. You'll blow $10,000. And this is the, like, we'll be the same one, like, Lord, bless me. Use me, Jesus. Financially, move. Ooh, move. And it's like, brother, you blew 10000 2740 a day. Here's some, some things practical. Know my income. Know your income. Take time to look at what you get. You know when you get your check and we're just like, oh, this is what I netted. Sometimes you look at your the direct deposit. Okay, this is what I netted. Take time to just look at the whole check, especially in the digital world. We don't take time to look at some of the paper that we're doing. And, and I've had some of my financial advisors walk me through, well, this is, you know, you look at it, you're just like, oh, okay, you take time to look at where the government's robbing you. I mean, where, where stuff is going out. And you're just like, Oh, okay, that's where that's going. That's where that's going. And there's times they're like, hey, you know you don't have to put into that. This can be changed to that. Sometimes if you just know your income, you can make it where you're actually getting more in your check because you're directing the money where to go a little bit, a little bit. And so you want to know your income. Know your credit report. Let me say that again for the people in the balcony. Know your credit report. Know our credit report. We got to know that thing. Don't, 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 again, don't over-spiritualize your credit score. Know your credit report. And if you're single and you're dating somebody, know their credit score too. Amen. In Jesus' name. It's just a spiritual, it's a spiritual talk. I mean, not on the first, maybe the second date, but not on the first date. What I'm saying is just know, know the credit score. Know those things. Build on it. And, 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 and there's strategy on how you can build your credit score. Here's another one. Develop a savings plan. You know, they use the, the saying generally to say, hey, you're paying, right? We pay Optimum. We pay PSC&G. We pay, you know, Fios. We play Netflix. or Not really Netflix. All of y'all using somebody else's account. But I'm saying we're paying something. Your money is going out and, and, and you're there and, and it's going through and we're paying. And, you know, the old saying is don't forget to pay yourself where you put money away in the savings to say, hey, this is what I'm paying myself every check. I don't care if it's $5, depending on what you're making, to $20. You know, I was talking to a financier by the name of Pastor Brian Jacks. He helped me with this. He said, in the, if you invested, if the average person invested $100 a month into the broader stock market over 40 years, you'd have over $250,000. $100 a month over 40 years, you'll have an average of over $250,000. That's the most holiest point I just made today. Know that God is in it. Don't over-spiritualize and think that these are not pra these practical tips can help us live out Proverbs 13, 22. And can I just take a moment to say remove shame, remove guilt, because sometimes the topic of money can make us shameful or guilty or, man, we messed up. I thank God for grace and his power to help us live out, change some decisions we make, and say, Lord, I may not experience the fullness of this blessing, but prayerfully, the, the buck stops with me and generations to come will know better. They'll know better. And another practical thing to manage your money, create a will. 
creator will. I had a friend, he owns a funeral home. It's one of the hardest things that he owns a funeral home for years. It's been in the family. One of the hardest, sad but true, one of the hardest things to ask him is like, how's business doing? And so, seriously, and he'll talk about it, and it's like a, a thing. But I said, how's the funeral home? He said this. He said, Lionel, I can't tell you the countless arguments I've seen at the funeral home over the person not having wills and everybody trying to figure out who's paying for what and what's going where and where's this money coming from. He said the average burial is an $8,000 situation. That's like the lowest of lowest. So I need us to see, it's not saying if I create a will that I'm not, I'm not believing God, I'm forecasting my death. No, it's saying, listen, I create a will because I'm being responsible that those around me would know exactly what needs to happen and there could be a level of peace so they can grieve my mourning, my death in a real way. All right? All right. And so these are very practical, sensitive topic, but it's a very practical thing. We really need to manage our money. We really need to say, Lord, I need to tell my money where to go. It can't tell me where to go. You need to make the decision to say, what are my needs and what are some luxuries? Because when we make our luxuries our needs, that's when debt starts coming in. We don't need every package. We don't need to see every NBA game. You know, some of these... Man, cable can be a lot of money. Especially Verizon Files, super expensive. <laughs> no shade. If you work for Files, may God use you. I'm just saying, you charge a lot. <laughs> Kelly Ripper was talking about managing her money. Who knows Kelly Ripper? Live with uh, Ryan and Kelly. And so Kelly Ripper was talking about how her daughter is in NYU. She's enrolled in NYU, and they're paying. They were nice enough to give her meal plans. They paid for all her meal plans up front, and they're like, you know, I'm not a savage. That's what she said. I'm not a savage. I paid for my daughter's meal plans. I want her to learn how to manage money. And so she said, I paid up front, paid up front for all her meal plans. And her, my daughter told me she doesn't, like, she doesn't like the food there. And so when I looked at her debit account, I noticed money was gone. And what she was doing was paying for, like, takeout consistently. She said she would use Postmates. It's like equivalent to like Uber Eats or, or whatever, Grubhub and all, all those other places. And she would use those to get her money. She said in New York, by the time she ordered a $7 salad after tax and the few blocks it takes and tip and all that, they were coming out to $25 a meal for a $7 salad. She said, uh-uh, I'm taking that debit card right back and putting it right in her back pocket. Because she said, I need to learn, you need to learn how to manage money. So that means you come in a household where everybody's learning to manage money. I had a friend of mine who was on the phone with me last night. He said, Lionel, let me tell you, my four-year-old son, four, he was playing his Xbox, Fortnite. He said, I forgot that I had my credit card connected to the Xbox. You know where I'm going? $70 in, in digital merchandise. He bought for like Fortnite, for a new outfit on Fortnite. 
70, this true story, you can't make it up, $70. He said, brother, he said, all of a sudden I got a notification. Microsoft is sending me an email to say, I just paid. Microsoft makes the Xbox. I paid $70, $70. He looked at his four-year-old son. He looks back at him. He looks at the TV with the new outfit. He, oh, no. He said, I called up Microsoft. He called up Microsoft right away. He said, brother, you going to give me my refund. Don't play games with me. Delete the out. Whatever you got to do, give me my refund. He said, sure enough, but sir, let me tell you. He said, I get multiple four. Fortnite calls a day over kids spending money on Fortnite. And some of you might, oh, he's so cute. Look at it. He's so wise. He knows how to spend money. You going broke? It's Fortnite. Don't give him credit for that. He's stealing. Boy, <laughs> hands laid on him. Spirits rebuke. Whatever you need to do. Moral of the story. Manage. Your money. And last but not least. So with 1322, we talked about it challenges me to master my money, to manage my money, and last but not least, to make money. It challenges me to make money. It's not unspiritual to have a desire to create income. It's not a bad thing. It's just saying don't put that above your pursuit of God. And sometimes we'll think because, oh, you know, I'm just going to do these get-rich-quick schemes. We'll go into these pyramid schemes and, and do all this other stuff. And next thing you know, and people are talking and, you know, they're trying to wax eloquent. Sometimes you haven't seen a friend. Does ever happen to you? You haven't seen a friend in years. And they're like, yo, I'm really interested in you. And you're like, why are you extra nice to me? And you're like, oh, I want you to join my pyramid scheme. Oh. And so <laughs> it's happened to me multiple times. And so, and so. We think sometimes, you know, if I play the lottery or if I do that, I'm going to get rich quick. And that's a trap. Do you know? That's a trap. And why is it a trap? Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers little by little will become rich. You see, we think, I'm going to play the lotto. I live right next to a corner store. And I find people all the time buying the scratch-offs and, and peel-offs and pull-offs and pull-ups and whatever they get and so they'll go and they're buying those I'm, they're, they're lined up lined up and they got all rituals with the scratch off some only scratch it on their knees some use their special grandma's lucky quarter sometimes scratch it on the ceiling of the car they'll do all types of things to try to get this quick money quick money they're playing all types of numbers and they're, they're, some of you been here listening to 1322 so I'm, I'm about to play that 1322 that's God's number that's God's name I rebuke that's for my inheritance Lord I believe you come on somebody that is the miss appropriation don't get slick don't get slick and then blame God it's about Jesus 1322 this is oh this is my season of inheritance talk about you laid hands on the pick six uh, you know they they said you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice before winning the lottery twice not just like pew once I'm talking about pew pew twice you, you, there's a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice. And we sitting there talking about 13, 22, 24. What number book is Proverbs in the Bible? 34, 13, 20. Don't get slick. What is it, John 3, 3, 16? No, don't, you think just because you're picking Bible numbers, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. CNBC reported that the average person who hits the lottery is three to five times more likely to declare bankruptcy three to five years later. So it ain't, it's not a money issue. It's, Lord, am I really 
managing it? Am I making it in a way that's integrous? One person put it to me like this. He's a millionaire. He said, let me tell you something. If the lottery was so lucrative and promising, most millionaires will be paying people to play the lottery for them so they can continue with their fortune. He said, you will find not one millionaire paying somebody to pay the lottery for them. Not one. He said, if it was lucrative, there'll be lines of people working for some millionaire playing the lottery for them. You never see that. You never see that. That was an eye-opener to me to go, yeah, you never see that. So we're called to make money. And then we can learn from the ant. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, you lazy people, you can learn by watching an anthill. Ants don't have leaders, but they store up food during harvest season. How long will you lie there doing nothing at all? When are you going to get up and stop stealing? Sleep a little, doze a little, fold your hands and twiddle your thumbs. Suddenly everything is gone as though it had been taken by an armed robber. The ant can teach us something about making money. What I learned from this text, the ant practices self-leadership. It doesn't need their supervisor or manager or cheerleading squad behind them going, go, make money, work hard. They don't know. The ant understands, I need to work to eat. This is not an issue for the ant. The ant's like, I'm going to work in conjunction with community to store up what I need during harvest time. And when they're sparse, we have some food. Why? Because we have some self-leadership. Here's the other thing we learned from the ant. The ant is a go-getter. The ant is not waiting for somebody to give him permission to go get what he needs. And so we learn from the ant. I'm not saying if we have financial struggle, it's, a, it's a, always a laziness thing. I'm not saying that because I grew up in a family when my mom as a single parent at home she worked two jobs for as long as I can remember she's currently working two jobs so she's always been a grinder a go-getter and be on top of things so it's not about laziness when you're trying to work through something but here's what I do know it's not about laziness but sometimes it is sometimes we're too divided Sometimes we have too much going on everywhere else and we're not doing a good job with the job we had before us and then we want to pray and ask the Lord for promotion. Ah. And the reality is, what are you doing with what's before you right now? To say, Lord, I just want to be a good steward. Again, this is not shame. This is not guilt. It's saying, Lord, I want to be a good steward on how to make money to leave a legacy for generations to come. We're going to be unpacking some of these things much further this served as an overview for the next few weeks. There's something powerful I recently read about Benjamin Franklin. It was in an article on him. And I just want to read an excerpt to you that came together. In the article they said, do you know the famous cliche, a penny saved is a penny earned? Benjamin Franklin coined it. A year before his death in 1790, he left a gift of 1,000 pounds of sterling, equivalent to about $4,000, to each of his two favorite cities, Boston and Philadelphia. He stipulated that the money was to be used to make loans to young apprentices seeking to start a business or for public works and projects in both cities. His start as a printer was because he received a loan from two benefactors. Franklin stipulated that his money could only be paid out on two specific dates. This is what he said. The first payment was 100 years after the gift in 1890. 
and the second payment 200 years after the gift in 19, 1990. After 100 years, the cities were allowed to withdraw $500,000, a partial gift, but after 200 years in 1991, they received the balance, which had compounded to approximately $7 million in total. In Boston, for example, since 1960, the city from this fund has made loans, listen, to 7,000 medical students. Since the changing times, Franklin's idea of business changed, but his desire to leave an inheritance for the next generation was still being fulfilled 200 years after his death. Family, this is a different type of thinking. Many of us don't necessarily come up or raised up in homes where we're thinking generations to come when we think of our money. Sometimes it's situations outside of us that lend itself. Sometimes it's bad mindsets we learned. It can be various reasons, but the reality is we don't necessarily, not all of us, some of us have, but not all of us have been reared up in homes where we're thinking building wealth for generations to come. But one of the gifts of the gospel is to say, I'm not a product of my upbringing alone. I'm a, I'm a kingdom kid. That when I come into the kingdom of God, every curse over my life is broken. And I can change the trajectory of generations to come. Maybe you'll never see it in the fullness on this side of heaven. But you can start the process to say my household can be a 1322 home. A launching of learning what, how we can deal with money and income in such a way that it brings glory to God. And I'll, and I'll close with this. My buddy that I started with at the top where the great-grandfather left the cottage for them for respite and everything when they wanted to go. You know what he does full-time? He's a missionary on a university campus. One of the reasons why he could be a missionary on the university campus, he said, because the, the wealth that they've accrued over time and the way that they've dealt with their money has freed him up to pursue missions in a way that he wouldn't have been able to if he was bound by debt. That's powerful. Imagine accruing a level of wealth that generations after you could say, oh, my material blessing, yeah, God's going to take care of it. Yes, we did it. But listen, I can focus on the work of God in such a freed up way that if I wanted to go international, if I wanted to do whatever I got to do, MasterCard and Visa won't tell me I can't go. But I can say yes and amen to God's will. That's powerful. Let us stand again.